we like to shut all the lights off in the living room and we just stare at our own tree all lit up. It's very comforting and soothing and satisfying. We're, we're drawn to light and admiring it at Christmas time. And I, I think our fascination with light is actually profound. I don't think it's just cultural. I think it's profound and I think it's appropriate. We're spending the Advent season reflecting on uh, traditional, not only traditional, but Christmas carols. Uh, that many of us have sung for years, uh, seeing the hope of Christianity and the centrality of the Christian message in these carols that we've sung, if you're a Christian, that you've sung for years. And this week, we're going to look at Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent. Speaking of light, the carol, it, it actually refers to Jesus Christ as the light of light. When we, when we sing... Let all mortal flesh keep silence. We're not singing it in its original form, but it is probably the oldest hymn we sing. Uh, Let all mortal flesh keep silence. It's fifth century from, from the Eastern Christian tradition. It predates O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which you think is old. It predates that one by 700 years. It's one of the oldest things that we sing with the Christian message. And it's interesting, you're, we're going to see as we, as we reflect on that carol, that the hymn, it connects light with war. Light with war. Advent, actually, is warfare. Christmas is, is God's light advancing into a dark world. That's what Christmas is all about. God was not inventing a holiday for us to celebrate when Jesus was born. God was waging war. We're going to just focus on the third stanza of the carol today. Rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the, el- the realms of endless day. That the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. This is military language, rank on rank, heaven's vanguard advances, the front lines of the heavenly host. It's military language that God is on the move. The prophet Zechariah put it this way, Zechariah chapter 2, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. But as God's forces advance, we don't hear cannons and we don't hear bombs. What do we see as God's forces advance? It's ironic. It's not what you would expect. Luke tells us in the earlier part of Luke chapter 3 that angels come and announce to lowly shepherds that a child was born. And Luke tells us that what the shepherds heard was a multitude of the heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest, praising God, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's like a rallying cry for the son of God's coming. But it was worship. It was praise. It was heavenly singing. Rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way. As the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day. These were the, the, the entire hymn uh, 
especially phrases like light of light. It echoes the earlier Nicene Creed, which was about 100 years before the Council of Nicaea in the ancient world. They got together to try and really clarify who is Jesus. What is he all about? What does the Bible say? What do we believe? And they elaborated even deeper than the Apostles' Creed goes. And one of the phrases in the Nicene Creed is light of light, referring to Jesus and Luke tells us later in, in chapter 2, this old man, Simeon, he, he comes into the temple and he holds Jesus, the baby, in, in his arms. And he's absolutely, he's just in joy. It's very moving. This old man saying, I can die in peace now because I have seen the Lord's salvation. And what does he call the baby? Simeon says in Luke chapter 2, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What, what must Mary and Joseph have thought at that moment? Luke says they marveled at what Simeon was saying. John in his gospel opens it up by saying that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And why? Why would the light of light descend into his own creation? We go on to sing that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. We're told by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The cost of humanity's freedom from God you read about Genesis chapter 3, right? we declared our freedom from our creator in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. Adam and Eve spoke for all of us. We didn't have to be in the garden at the moment. They spoke for all of us. When we declared our freedom from God, we were actually enslaving ourselves to Satan. John Milton wrote this epic poem called Paradise Lost hundreds of years ago. And, it, and it's, it's a dramatic uh, retelling of our fall. From God's grace and and he depicts Satan in, in anger and in frustration and in jealousy over God's crown of creation, humanity, Satan rousing the powers of night and chaos and rumor and chance. There was another one I had written it down in here. Where'd it go? Oh, tumult and confusion. Satan rallying these forces. To, to mount an attack on God. But how does Satan attack God? Because he's no match for God. Satan's a creature. He's a lot more powerful than you and I, but he's still a creature. How does Satan attack God? By coming after us. By assaulting the crown of God's creation. You. That's how Satan goes after God. He goes after you. And so, all, all the good progress in humanity, science and art and culture and architecture, and, and psychology, and, and medicine, and all, all, all of human advances, uh, they're good attempts to only deal with symptoms. All that we can do as human beings, we're, we're addressing symptoms of a, of a battle that is being waged on a spiritual level in a dimension that time and space does not understand, that we cannot comprehend. We as humanity, we're, we're dealing with the symptoms, but the cause is spiritual, the Bible tells us. The cause is is Satan called the ruler of this world 
who is mounting a constant attack against humanity's lords, you and I. No, I'm sorry, creation's lords, you and I. In spite of the creator. John Piper said that if we could just roll back the dimension of time and space to see spiritual warfare, the type of warfare that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6, if we could just see spiritual warfare, the warfare that affects us, it it would make all human conflicts and wars look like mere child's games. But we don't get to see it. What we get to see, interestingly enough, is angels advancing with the praises of God at the coming of the Son of God in Bethlehem. And Simeon rejoices because God was launching a counterattack. The reason the Son of God appeared, the Apostle John tells us, was to destroy the devil's work. So Christmas reminds us that God was invading Satan's darkness when that baby was born in a manger. That's what God was doing. It's in C.S. Lewis's stories about Narnia, the last battle, that Lucy said, in our world, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. The child is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. That's who the child is, the Lord of armies. Who Revelation says, the book of Revelation says, makes war to bring peace to you, to bring final justice to creation. How absurd would it have been if all the citizens of Europe went back to the Nazis for protection after the allies had invaded the continent? How absurd would that have been? And yet, the message of the New Testament, the message of all the letters in the New Testament after the Gospels and after the book of Acts, the message is overwhelmingly this. Since you have been rescued from darkness, stay in the light. Don't creep back into darkness. Because now, because of Christ, you're children of the light. Jesus called Saul who is disrupting Christians and and dragging Christians into uh, prison. Uh, Jesus called Saul and said, Saul, you're going to be my messenger now. You're on my team. And I want you to go and I want you to tell the Gentiles about me and about my good news. And Paul talks about it in Acts chapter 26. And according to Paul, these were Jesus's words of why he was sending him to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan To God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And Paul, he then became known as Paul somehow. Paul took those words of Jesus seriously and he went on to preach that way. For instance, he said to the Christians in Rome, you can find this in Romans 13. He said to them, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than it was when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, 
Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Christians have an urgent call to stay in the light. If you're not a Christian, the God of the Bible urges you and calls you to come into the light. Now, how do you do that? How do you come into the light? Or if you're there, how do you stay in it? This is figurative language. So what are we really talking about here practically? How do you stay in the light? Or how do you come into it? I think the answer to that question is bound up in the title of our Christmas carol today. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. The prophet Habakkuk, in the second chapter of his prophecy, said, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You keep silent in the presence of a holy God by staying still, by shutting up, by staying put, and letting his light radiate on you. And affect you. You keep silence. By stop. Stop moving around. Stop making plans. And let his movements. And let his plans affect you. Stop talking for once. And and coming up with great ideas. And telling everybody. What the world needs. And what they need. And what you need. And just listen. To God speak to you. It's, It's an active and a passive thing. You can only actively stay in the light as you passively allow it to shine upon you. That's really, that's really what faith is. It's actively trusting that if you stay still and allow God's truth to shine upon you, he will change you. It's tr- faith is trusting that, the, that only being exposed to the light of Jesus will, will bring healing will bring forgiveness, will bring reconciliation with you and God. That, that only being exposed to Jesus' light will offer you protection from Satan and from all the darkness that has far more of a profound impact upon you and your culture than we realize. Faith is believing that Jesus will expose the evil in you and the weakness in you Faith is believing that Jesus will reveal in his light everything that you need to understand and everything that you need to see in order to see clearly so that you can move forward productively in your life. Do you not like the word evil? People don't usually like the word evil um, associated with their person. Because I said the light of Jesus exposes the evil in you, not just the darkness out there, but the darkness in here, inside of you. Do you not like that? Um, let me ask you another question. Have you been too accustomed to darkness? Are you getting too comfortable with darkness? At first, you know, we had, uh, we had Steve talk about going into a dark basement. When have you been in a room that was completely dark and you didn't have a flashlight or a candle? At first, it's very disorienting because you can't see anything, maybe not even the hand in front of your face. You don't know where anything is and you start stumbling. But what eventually happens as your eyes adjust to the darkness? Now you can see. You can't see everything. You can't see everything clearly, but you can see enough to get around. 
And the more you're in the darkness, the more your eyes grow accustomed to it, to the point that you become comfortable with the darkness and fearful of the light. Like being in a movie theater all day. Maybe not all day. I don't see movies all day. But what happens, back in the day, some of you may be too young to remember this, back in the day when security was not a big deal, they would let you leave the movie theater by an exit door right in the theater itself. And what would happen when you, were, when you were in a dark theater for three hours or for two hours, and you walked out into the bright sunlight, you immediately closed your eyes with your hands. It was so bright. It was offensive. It, it was traumatic to you. You wanted to go back into the darkness. Spiritually speaking, that's what we're like. We grow so accustomed to the darkness that the light becomes a threat to us. That the light is dangerous to us because we don't want to see What it reveals. We don't want other people to see what the light reveals. Jesus put it this way when he was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil. You know how you can tell if you're really comfortable with darkness. You act like Satan. And I don't mean you grow horns and a tail and develop a penchant for pitchforks or anything like that. The word Satan means adversary. Jesus said Satan was a liar from the very beginning, that he was a murderer and a thief from the very beginning. And all of that's true. But the reason Satan steals and murders and lies is because he absolutely, passionately, psychologically hates God. He is opposed to God. And if you're simply opposed to God's glory and God's will and God's plan in how you think and in how you plan your life and what you want, right? it doesn't have to be out there and, and flamboyant. It may just be simply in your heart or in your mind, thinking thoughts that are opposed to God, to who he is and to what he wants in the world and to what he wants for you. Are you comfortable Opposing God. We are more accustomed to the darkness than we're willing to admit. But what you can't see in the darkness are your chains. You can see enough to know that you don't want to head back to the light. But what you can't see are your chains that bind you to your sin. And bind you to the guilt that sin affords us. That sin deserves. And what you can't see in the darkness is what's coming. And it is far worse than you're willing to admit. And that's just why the light of light came. Because you can't get yourself out of the darkness. The light has to break in and reveal the truth to you. So that you, when you are exposed to it, you know where to turn. You know where to go. You know what's what and what to see and what to believe. If God is light, then the darkest place is where God is not, right? If he is light, then the darkest place is where there is no God. And that's the cross. You may think that there's no darker place than your own mind or where you're at right now in life. But there, there was a darker place. It was the cross, can't think of any place in all the universe that that was void 
of more light than the cross itself. Because on the cross, Jesus hung there and said to his heavenly father, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, your sin and mine and the world's left Jesus in utter darkness. That was the darkest place when he hung on the cross utterly alone. Now, that shouldn't depress you. That itself is light. It should give you hope because it tells you that the God of the Bible enters into your darkness. There's nowhere that the God of the Bible is not willing to go to rescue you. Even in the most darkest, most dismal of conditions, the God of the Bible will still come to you and reveal himself to you. The God of the Bible enters into your darkness to rescue you out of it. David put it this way when he wrote Psalm 139. And man, it should be a Christmas carol. He said, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Your darkness is not a threat to God. At all. Jesus went to the cross and endured that utter darkness so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could come into the light. And this is a message for those who are afraid of what the light may expose. Are you afraid that if you come into the light, you will be revealed for who you truly are and what you truly do and how you truly think. Well, I want to encourage you that although you will be exposed in the light, by faith in Jesus, being exposed in the light is not a punishment. It's not condemnation. Because the things that are exposed, they were hung to the cross when Jesus hung in utter darkness. So when you come into the light, and when you allow the light of Jesus, his word, his truth, his, his spirit dwelling in you, when you allow his light to shine upon you, the things that he reveals that you're afraid of being revealed, those things were hung on the cross. So he reveals them to you to heal you. He reveals them to you to give you hope for forgiveness, for restoration, for improvement, to make you the person He's designed you to be. He's going to expose what needs to be eradicated. What's already been judged on the cross. So that for you coming in the light, coming into the light, although it's hard for you with Jesus, it's about healing. It's about forgiveness. It's about God adopting you. It's about God reminding you of the joy of your salvation. The cross exposed and punished those sins. And Jesus is the light of light that absorbed all darkness for you. So that once exposed, you would not be punished. You would be healed. The Apostle John said in his first letter, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As Graham said earlier. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is why the light of light entered into the darkness. So Advent is warfare. It is not just a little baby in a manger. It is the God of the universe waging war against Satan and hell and sin and death itself to rescue you. So come into the light. Come into the light. And if you're in the light, stay in the light. Let the light of Jesus expose what needs to be done away with in you and reveal the truth and the power and the hope that will heal you. Trust Jesus to expose your sin, but not to punish you for it. It's been punished already. He was punished for it. So resist the darkness as it clears away and have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father, we were the people that Isaiah was prophesying about, people who have been walking in darkness. And yet we have seen a wonderful light. And we call him the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. This child born in a manger who is bigger than our whole world. May we allow the light of Jesus, Father, may, may we in faith allow his light to shine upon us, exposing what you desire to eradicate, exposing what you judged on the cross that you want us to confess and heal from, exposing the beautiful people that you've designed us to be, that we even now as children of the light are becoming. And if there's anyone here, Father, who is afraid in the dark, I ask for faith and for comfort and for hope from your son that will draw them out into the light, into your presence, to be seen as they truly are, to know you as you truly are, and to finally have hope. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.